podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sakura. Hey, Bob. Hi, Chris. Oh, we're, we're sorry, speaking do I say hi first? Already. Oh, man. <laughs> it's staying in. It's staying in. It's staying in. How's it going, uh, man? Uh, it's Friday. It's uh, pr- pretty beautiful. I got a lot of sun in the window today. Uh, I left campus right after classes, so I'm, I'm feeling okay, you know? That's that's excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. You know we have a guest today? I do. <laughs> I, I'm aware. <laughs> yes, uh, raised in Michigan near the back of his parents' used bookstore, Isaac Bikel is a black and Jewish poet, PhD candidate, and adjunct instructor in Detroit, and a graduate of Miami University's Master of Fine Arts program in creative writing. He is the author of two collections of poetry, Everything Saved Will Be Last, from Black Lawrence Press in 2021, and It's Not Over Once You Figure It Out from Black Ocean, 2023. Isaac's taken a seat in all 50 states and has so much to look forward to, including doing this podcast today, we assume. Isaac, how's it going, man? It's it's going great. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, actually. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am, I'm thrilled to be on the pod. Awesome. We're, uh, I'm we're thrilled so to be able to say the pod. Yes, fun. yeah. That's the thing about <laughs> podcasting is you get to do all the stupid podcaster stuff. We don't have to do like that. We can say the pod. We can say the show. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Agreed. And uh, I, I will say uh, a, a a mutual. There's several excitements uh, going on for myself, and I'm going to speak for both of us for us. Um, but always a particular delight to have someone on who you know our our introduction with you is like hey i listen to the show <laughs> so <laughs> a, a, a huge thrill for us um, yeah always yeah. mind-blowing when someone says right that. <laughs> right uh, uh certainly our regular joke is like is anyone out there <laughs> other than our parents <laughs> uh, so thank you for that my my mother doesn't read my work as a general rule um yeah. she yeah, loves it poets. and tells me it's great but she she always says like you know it's just it's a little too personal for me, Isaac. You have to understand. <laughs> and so I wrote, you know, I've written, I've written countless poems about my mother, and she'll, she'll touch around the edges, and she'll say, I appreciate it so much. But, uh, but I don't think she's listening to this podcast. My dad, on the other hand, will, will be ready. So, so <laughs> hello, Dad. Excellent, How are you? excellent. Welcome to Isaac's parents as well. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to yeah, all our dads. <laughs> so as we were talking a little bit off mic, um, you know, we, 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 we live in turbulent times, so we got we got a hard pivot away from uh, uh, goofball poetry talk for a second. Isaac, you did want to say something, uh, and then, uh, dear listeners, we'll, we'll pivot right back into goofball serious, goofball slash serious poetry. Um, but yeah, we wanted to we wanted to get something off top, so Isaac, we'll open up the floor to you, man. Chris, thanks. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I, uh, I write pretty serious poetry and was already a little worried about this being like the somber episode of the podcast, but I, I really wanted to raise the dire situation that's happening in Gaza. Um, even if this isn't like the appropriate time to do so, uh, right off the top, I think it does need to be addressed. Um, it feels kind of dishonest to ignore it. Um, so I just want to say sort of briefly that as a Jew, um, this last month has been, uh, challenging. It's, it's seen me break a lot of long-term friendships uh, it's seen uh, tensions uh, in professional and personal and family life. But I also feel a particular responsibility to speak out about the crisis uh, and hold solidarity with the Palestinian people. Uh, and that's not because Israel and Judaism are synonymous with each other, but because the lesson of 
the Holocaust or of the last 5,000 years of Jewish history is basically never again. We are people that have survived countless attempts at genocide and uh, the fact that it seems we are now on the brink of, uh, of doing that ourselves um, or many people support it uh, is sort of shocking to me in a way that, that I can't really recognize myself in a lot of contemporary Judaism. Um, I, I believe in justice for Palestine, a ceasefire, the end of the blockade on Gaza, an end of the occupation, an end of the apartheid state, a single state with freedom for all, citizenship for all. Um, I don't think that makes me a radical, uh, and I know a lot of the people that I know think it makes me a radical, but I think that um, it's sort of the base, just the base level expectation you can have um, is uh, some sort of uh, equity and, uh, and freedom here in the 21st century. Um, so... You know, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor it. I write a lot of poetry on this. If anyone's curious, you can just, you know, check out my stuff. Um, it's really the best way. I'm processing it when I when I try to talk about it openly like this. I, I honestly feel nervous. Um, yeah. You know, I was I was programmed for my entire life as a Jew to support Israel, um, and it's it's difficult to have these conversations openly. Um, but, you know, poetry has, has honestly, and I know it's cheesy, but it's been a real outlet um, and, and allowed me to think through things that otherwise I feel sort of stuffed up about. Um, so anyways, thanks for, thanks for letting me speak to that for a moment. Absolutely. I just want to say, I think we both really appreciate, um, you know, both you is you know, having so much to say, but to, to you know, offer um, to kind of bring it up and lead the show with it. I, I think not that I don't think we've ever shied too much away um, from at least vaguely kind of addressing what's going on in the world in the show. Um, but I, again, we, we, we were talking before this, I similarly, like obviously me and Chris come from different vantage points. Um, but this is, it's been on my mind so much and the, there's just, there's a lot there. Um, so I, I, I'm really happy to kind of start with that note um, and to, you know, agree in solidarity. Um, yes. I think it's really important to both of us. Yeah. Same here. I think, I think we both agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Um, you know, uh, stand in solidarity of, uh, you know, victims of injustices and, 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 uh, wanton killings and, uh, uh, abuses everywhere. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff really bothers us. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I know, you know, like Bob said, we, we, we talk, we talk about religion on the show a good deal, but Bob and I are both you know, uh, uh, backsliding Christians. Um, my neighborhood in Chicago where, you know, where Bob and I went to school is, um, has a ton of, has a, a ton of Jewish people here. There are a ton of, uh, Palestinians here, Middle Eastern people. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we want, we want ceasefires. We want justice. We want peace, you know? Um, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you led the show off with this for sure. Yeah. And, uh, I do, yeah. I, oh. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say um, uh, backsliding Christians are my favorite type of Christian. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, I, I really appreciate your words. And I, I think that, you know, it is, it's real easy to, uh, to sort of feel like you've done your part, um, posted a few times on Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's important for, for each of us to keep doing what we can 
even if that's not that much. Not everyone is able-bodied enough or in the mind state enough to go to a protest. But maybe you are able to call a representative or maybe you're able to just talk to people that you know and, and start working on public perception. But there, this is an ongoing situation. It's not something that's probably going to end anytime soon. Yeah. So, you know, you've got, you've got to have your, your running shoes on. Uh, this is going to be a while. Absolutely. Yeah, and one that. thing, you know, one thing, it's, it's kind of cheesy, and, and I know that um, uh, <laughs> uh, making art or, or having, having a podcast, especially having a podcast, is not the same as calling a rapper or, or, or going to a protest. But we do, um, uh, we do like to think of ourselves as a, a safe place where all people can feel welcome and we can, you know, I think poetry is a, a medium unique to celebrating the nuances of who people are and celebrating, uh, celebrating people with like, you know, what you might think of as like a fringe opinion, but if you like think about it or, 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 or write about it, write your way around it, you know, you start to open, open your mind and stuff. You're mentioning being programmed your whole life to, um, to uh, to believe in the state of Israel and to support it uh, unquestioningly and stuff like that and like you know we certainly have Christian stuff like that um, and uh, uh, poetry is a great place to um, to decro- deprogram your mind a little bit and open open your hearts to to other other places so that's you know something we like to try to offer with this with show is um, you know introduce people to the mind expanding powers of poetry I guess. <laughs> I think I've got I've got the pivot point um, that we were looking for here is that Isaac you you mentioned kind of like um, the relationship to to poetry and and the state of the world and bigger things and kind of this untangling that we're talking about um, and you just today posted a new poem on your Substack um, which I'm a recent subscriber to um, so oh, I, I, I kind of thank you thank you <laughs> kind of think this might be a way. Um, for us to, you know, get into poetry is I'm so curious about this practice of writing and publishing work and putting it out in the world seemingly quickly. I don't know how long you necessarily worked on that piece. Um, but, you know, like that's a little, I don't know, not non-traditional is not the word I want to say, but I think like it's kind of against the grain of what a lot of we're taught, especially academic world MFA people um, of how you're supposed yeah. to do poetry. So I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Um, it started, I have to give credit where credit is due. It started uh, inspired by Brendan Joyce, who is like mm-hmm. a self-described yeah, Twitter know, yeah. poet. Uh, Brendan's um, great. Yeah, Brendan's awesome. Yeah, Brendan is great. Uh, posts stuff right as he's drafting them a lot of the time. Um, or used to until he had a book that was impending, which I understand <laughs> that practice. Um, but But he inspired me to start occasionally throwing drafts on Twitter and the more I did it, the more that I realized it wasn't just a way to sort of like spotlight my poetry. It was a way to motivate myself to write poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of developed almost a daily practice of writing something. I don't post to Twitter every single day anymore, but I, I do still have that, that routine that's sort of set now, and I'm writing almost every single day. Amazing. And then, you know, a lot of it is garbage because a lot of everything is garbage. Um, but, but, you know, what seeps through, uh, I think is really working these days. And, um, that poem in particular, I, I you know, I, I work on things for about a day and then I schedule them to be published on, on Substack. That's um, awesome. That's... so there's, there's no deep editing process. I'll edit it when I put it in a manuscript. 
Right. But you know, until then, it's just it just sort of is what it is, and these are these are drafts that I'm sharing with the world. That rules, man. That, that first of all, I applaud your courage. I, I can't do that with po- I can't do that with anything. <laughs> especially can't do it with poetry. I I, th- I think I might need to to take a page out of your book though, because I, I I find myself like it's so easy for me to like be like, all right, I'm going to write fiction for an hour, but like I I have so much trouble writing poetry, like like sitting down and being like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this poem lately and i've been thinking i need to just start a daily practice and i don't know you're motivating me like publishing without <laughs> going anybody first I, I can't write poems without like sending them to bob and being like hey bob do you mind like embarrassing myself like <laughs> <laughs> no that's great man that's i just subscribed to your Substack. that's awesome and you got a calvin hobbs header so anyone who um anyone who's looking for a Substack to subscribe to go to isaac's page man Hey, thank you. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I just got a massively loud email. <laughs> it's so loud in my headphones. But we are, we're totally burying the lead right here by talking about your substack and the poems you're just drafting right now. Uh, your book came out this week. Let's On my go. favorite press. Yes, it did. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um... I I knew when we were scheduling this that we were aiming for like around the book time. I was not paying close enough attention to it. I was like, oh shoot, it's 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 just happened. Um Wednesday, I think. How are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling great. I just went on like a little mini tour around the Midwest, selling some books, doing some performances, including this one really cool one that if anyone's in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. try to look up something called the Waves Cafe. It's experimental musicians performing alongside poets. <sighs> Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, and it's not oh, it's man. it's not pre-planned. You just walk in, shake a hand of a musician, and is like, "Okay, do you want me to play the drums or the vibraphone?" And I was like, "The drums, please." And there were just drums behind me for my set. Really cool stuff. That rules. But, I got um, That's reason enough for me to go to Minneapolis. We got we got a friend in Minneapolis. I'm going to Minneapolis soon. Nice, nice, definitely worth it. But yeah, did the tour. It was a lot of fun. I go out again in a couple of weeks to. Uh, to Cincinnati, uh, I think Cleveland and Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's great having the book in the world. It really is. Yeah. 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 Um, and I know I've got a little bit of the notes on this, um, but can you tell us about uh, the writing of it? Where does this book come from? The word that came to my mind that I don't want to use, it's so gross, is elevator pitch. Um, but, uh, you know, for our audience. We're big into um, content on this poetry podcast. <laughs> yeah, who might not be familiar with your work. Tell us a little bit about it. I will try to bring the content. Um, okay, so this, <laughs> this begins as, a, as basically a pandemic collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a group of poems under a title, and then COVID happened, and I basically switched out every single one of them with new work. Because um, uh, literally, what else was I going to do? I was teaching online, one yeah. class, I think, at the time. And I just, you know, I had time to write poems. So this really does get written in 2020. I start pushing it out to publishers in 2021. And, and Black Ocean, I was lucky enough, they, they picked it up right at the end of that year. So this is sort of deeply a COVID collection. Um, and, you know, I was really thankful for that extra time that I had. Yeah. And I know that it was a kind of unmitigated disaster for the country at large, but I also know that a lot of people made the most of it. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of proud of the creative community for not only 
being like the only people who were wearing masks by 2023. But in addition to that, um, for uh, for really sort of investing in in trying to you know do art during a hard time instead of what was me. Absolutely, I think that's one of the things that we're here for, right? It's like you you have to like to to not discount like any of the suffering that happened during the pandemic or any anything anyone's else's experiences. But like in times like that, what can you do but but do art? You're all sitting. We're all sitting at home. Like our our friends, like in our our basketball group chat the musicians all got together and were like, everyone has to make an album during lockdown. Nice. <laughs> and, and it was just like, yeah, that's the sort of like life-giving stuff you do when you can't leave the house or do anything and you're scared that the air is poison. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I agree with you, yeah. But I cut you off. Yeah, I, no, no, that's all right. I, I think that's that's part of the reason why the poems are so heady. And and I don't say that to like denigrate my own work. I love heady poetry. But but I, I wasn't really interacting with other people. Right. Yeah. Besides my partner and my stepson, like that was it. That was my whole world. And so, uh, and students on the internet. And so, you know, I, I was really in my own thoughts and having these like circuitous conversations with myself. And, and I think the poetry in some ways reflects that yeah. where, you know, there's, there aren't a lot of characters. There are a lot of thoughts sure. and, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I had one of my first readers was like, this reads sort of like, if a book of theory had like a, um, you know, a lot of line breaks in it and then no citations and there are no citations because Lord knows I'm a terrible graduate student. I'm a really bad graduate student. Yeah, we said clear. candidate when we said PhD, we said candidate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, it's not my, it's not my strong suit. We're, we're working on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but as far as an elevator pitch, I actually wanted to echo what I heard your guest, Alina Pleskova, say on this yeah. same topic, which was arguing against the sort of aboutness of poetry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, while these poems have themes and through lines, uh, I don't know if the collection is about something that I could define. Sure. It's sort of it, it's it's about my life in the year 2020. Mm. Um, and it doesn't discuss my life in the year 2020 that much, but that's ultimately what it's about. And, um, I think that maybe that's the best way to explain what any poetry collection or even any poem is about is just like, who was the artist while they were creating the poem and what was the world while the poem was being created? Dude. Oh man. Bob, I'm sorry. I'm talking too much. I should let you talk. But as, <laughs> um, uh, that I love that as uh, I read that recently when someone was talking about, um, like someone was defending the album as a concept instead of like releasing like sure. for streaming or whatever as like a, an album is a snapshot of where an artist is at time mm. uh, in a, in a time. And then I started looking at my own life in times where like, for whatever reason I wasn't writing or I wasn't like, you know, publishing or recording anything or anything like that. And I'm like, Oh, but I was doing stuff and now I kind of don't have a record of it. And it made me sad, you know? Yeah. Um, so I love that idea of like, I love project books. You know, I, I love when a book has like a, you know, every, all these poems are the color green or whatever the fuck. But like, <laughs> I, I also like where it's just like, this is where I was at in 2020 and 2021. Like, that's, that's great. I, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I, 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 I really like the way you framed all that. I'm just having a, a flashback. Yeah, Chris, you weren't interrupting anything valuable. I'm having a flashback to some of my students and the look they gave me when I, when I used the phrase resisting aboutness. <laughs> <laughs> Not on board with that concept. <laughs> and what are we supposed to write the essay about? 
and I'm, I'm also having a moment to, I, and you know, this, this all comes from me looking at kind of your notes before the show, but, uh, I was also in that position where I was, I was an adjunct March, 2020. And, you know, we, I, we did like an extended spring break or something was the way they described it of like, yeah, we're just going to take two weeks off and then we'll come back. And of course we didn't do that. And that, that jump to online teaching, you know, with these people that I had hung out with for two months and then just like, we're just going to try and do the zoom thing was wild. Yeah. It's a completely different relationship. You know, I'm, right. I'm adjuncting now. I'm teaching, I'm teaching five classes this semester, which is Oof. a lot. But back then I was just, uh, you know, I was just teaching one class that semester. And so when you're teaching one class in person, you have a real intimate relationship yeah. with your students. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden to be like, to be thrown online, I, I think the students didn't know how to handle it. Just like we didn't know how to handle it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I could tell that I had created a somewhat comfortable community atmosphere because, like, I had students that were, like, blazing up in the middle of the classroom. Like, this is fine, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, no one knew how to behave. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. That was a weird time. <laughs> uh, but a book came out of it. That rules. A book came, a book out. came out of it. Yes. Congratulations on that. Um, I'm so pumped, both for you, for you to have the book. Uh, I, I love when poets tour. That always yeah. just makes me really happy. It's so heartening. Um, like, so many of our guests have been like, I tour, and I'm like, I don't have a book yet. So I'm just like, this means I get to tour when I publish. This is great. Um, <laughs> it's, it rules yeah, the You're, you're energizing both of us right now. Great. It is, it is a, I don't know if this is even the right word, a vivifying experience. I've just always Ooh, wanted to say yeah. that. Oh, I love it. Vivifying. Um, yeah, it, it really wakes you up to something. Uh, the connections, the communities, it's yeah. great. Hell yeah. I love that. All right, speaking of communities, look at this. I'm on transition duty today, Chris. You can do all the regular talking. Uh, <laughs> we we want to know about a, a community of artists and poets who have inspired you. And we came up with this goofy question to <laughs> address that. Um, so we ask you uh, for your all-time influence starting five uh, and listeners i can tell you ahead of time this roster rules yeah. um, so you can take us through uh take us through your answer to that great great so i um it's time to come out with it already i'm a huge basketball fan That's why yes. I listen to the pod. um i uh i, Poetry, I, I man, basketball yes yeah basketball absolutely uh i am so embarrassed that you know most of my podcast listening is just nba podcasts i listen to nba podcasts in the off season when nothing is happening um it's very bad i don't write basketball poetry though because i have no audience for it which i really need to stop (laughs) worrying about it you just need to cultivate the audience for it man i got to i got to um so so this all influence starting five has positions um, which I think is important. We love um, that. So, we're so excited. So we're gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. s- <laughs> so we're gonna start with the point guard, who is kind of like the table setter, right? The person who makes everything work. And I went with Trois Derricotte. She is a uh, really, really notable poet from you know the '80s onward. But kind of her thing is that she is a black woman who passes as white. Um, and while not all of her poetry is about that, she wrote an entire book about it called The Black Notebooks, which is just an incredible sort of journey through essay and verse, and her work really delves into the question of, you know, what is it like to live in a body that doesn't represent necessarily 
um, who you've been throughout your life, who you grew up as, what you know of the world. Um, and, and maybe moreover, what is it like to live in a body that demands the world treats you differently than you treat yourself? And, Ooh, you know, yeah, I think yeah. that, I think that in many ways, while there are narratives about passing in the 19, early 1900s, a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, uh, Derek Cott basically writes the rules for like contemporary discussions around passing. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways writes the rules for how people maybe can talk about passing in other forms too. And the way that it is like a complex situation and not just sort of, um, abandoning, uh, something, but it is something that happens, um, whether or not you want it to. And, uh, so yeah, she, she's my point guard. She's my point guard. Can I say thank you for bringing that book to my attention? Cause I'm unfamiliar with Derek Hutt's work and, um, I, I, I need to be more well-versed in this stuff. That's, that's my son. That's my five-year-old um, is uh, a black man. That's <laughs> white. So I, I, need, I need these new rules. I don't need 19th century narratives. I yeah. need new rules. Right. Um, so yeah, thank yeah. you for bringing that to my attention. Let's go to the two guard. Okay. So at shooting guard, which is a position that's usually a little erratic, a little trigger happy. <laughs> um, I'm talking about like the Nick Young's of the world. Yes. Um, for the three podcast listeners, who know that reference. <laughs> Um, Kelly Oubre, does that ring any bells? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're going with Adrian Piper, who I promise these people do not all pass as white, but Adrian Piper is yet another artist who is black but passes as white. But Adrian Piper is erratic. She is mm. out there. She makes work that is challenging and hard and yells in your face. Um, she has a real complicated, ambivalent uh, relationship to kind of what it means to be black in the 21st century. Uh, she moved to Germany and like put all of her work that she's ever done for free online, like everything. Oh, wow. Amazing. Um, and has like a giant archive there, like an in-person archive with her notes and letters. I mean, she is, she is out there as far as like, and, and she's probably a very normal person. She's just out there in terms of the norms of our world that we live in. Right, right. So Adrian Piper is my erratic shooting guard. I hope if Adrian Piper is listening by any chance, they're not offended by me calling them a, an erratic shooting guard, but so it goes. Um, I should probably mention at this point, it is relevant. I am, uh, I, I pass as white. So my mom's black. My dad is, is Jewish. He has the skin tone of a salmon. And so I turned out pretty light coloring uh, with like a shock of curly hair. Um, and so these, these, uh, Derricott and Piper are people that I read late in undergrad, I think for the first time that really helped me find my voice to talk about these issues, which in many ways is all my chat book is about from, from Black Lawrence. And it informs a lot of what I do in It's That Over Once You Figure It Out, out right now from Black Ocean. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Isn't it great to find the writers who really speak to you right at the end yeah. of college? You know, like, oh, oh cool! Yeah. Now that I yeah. th- now that I can't study anywhere anymore, <laughs> I found the people I like. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's the time to do it, really, yeah. because yeah. as as quote unquote independent scholars or whatever, that's when you get to you know write your own darn work and and right. think your own thoughts. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. I'll move on. My small Ford. Uh, small Fords are like the contemporary superstar, right? LeBron James or Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or something. Um, and so everyone knows who Brian James is. He's got a high key score. Kevin Durant um, does listen to this podcast and is upset uh, that he didn't 
Yeah. Oh no. About to flame you on Twitter. Yeah, he really is. He's on one of his burners right now, being like, he was said Paul George before me. (laughs) It's tough. What if what if the poetry found Twitter account was Kevin Durant's burner? Uh well, I think it would have slightly similar press recently. So uh, Poetry Foundation needs to kind of watch itself. Yeah, that's, it's, that's, I said Poetry Foundation for a reason. Yeah, on notice. Yeah, that's hot talk. <laughs> um, so I thought about putting Baldwin here because Baldwin mm. certainly is a superstar uh, right. and someone who who definitely inspires my my work. But the reason I didn't put Baldwin is because this is supposed to be an all-influencer team, and Baldwin doesn't really influence me because I cannot even begin to do what Baldwin does. Sure. Any of what Baldwin <laughs> yeah, does. Yeah. Like, I can't even do, like, the poor man's version of what Baldwin does. I just can't do it. Right, right. So, so I thought that was kind of dishonest. So instead I went with a couple of poets who I, I, really, I really love, um, who I think are both uh, small and forward. Um, and that's Donna Smith and Hanif Abdurraqib. Um, they, they do not write similar poetry, but they take up a really similar spot in my brain of people's sure. work who I, I functionally think the stuff they do is perfect. Mm. Uh, I okay. read through yeah, their yeah. books and I have, I, I have no notes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of poets like that where it's like, man, I, I can't be objective about your work. I just love you. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I love both their online presences, which doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess we'll do, we'll, we'll make Dunez the starter and Hanif the sixth man, just because that's how it is on the list here. But I, he's closing I, I, games. I, I don't, Hanif is coming. Yeah. I don't know. Games. I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's small forward. We move on to power forward, and this is the power player, the person who puts his shoulder into the other guy. And for that, I chose Wendy Trevino, um, who I discover right at the beginning of graduate school, like Mm -hmm. eight years ago, and um, helps me reimagine what, like, angry political poetry can be today. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 she's still doing the same stuff. She puts out. She is someone who puts out drafts on Twitter too. Sometimes, yeah. Um, you got to be. You got to really watch out for it because they don't last long. But um, but 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 Wendy's work is is just fantastic. It's so forceful. It's so um, sometimes it it almost feels understated. But then you read it a second time, you're like, wow, she is flaming X, Y, or Z. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and she's, she's totally unapologetic, and I imagine she's put her shoulder into a lot of defenders in her day. Um, so that's the power forward. And then finally, the center. The center used to be the most important position for, like, the first 50 years of the oh, NBA. That's such a good um, way of putting it. Yes. Right? This is so but wonderful. Now, I can't wait. <laughs> now it's a little, like, it's a little less important. Um, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of in the background. You just need someone large and in charge in the center. Um, I should never say large and in charge, but anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> so for this spot, I put Allen Ginsberg. Um, so Allen Ginsberg is, is not necessarily still influencing my poetry. I do not, I'm not a beat by any means right. or, or a student of the beats, but I wouldn't write poetry at all without Alan Ginsberg. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just yeah. would have never done it. I, I, it, he's the first like notable poet who I started reading. Um, I got to meet him when I was in like fourth grade, oh, wow. um, which is really exciting. Amazing. Like right before he passes, yeah. um, he came into my dad's bookstore 
cool. and then so we got like my dad negotiated backstage uh passes and so i got to meet alan ginsburg and it's a memory i still have of just like a weird old jewish guy yeah. um <laughs> which is sort of what you get with alan ginsburg um but i still stand by his work i think it's i think it's i think it's great i think that um i think that he he really opens up a lot of what you can do with sexuality and poetry mm-hmm. um, yeah. at a really early stage. Um, not that he was the first, but 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 one of the notable ones um, in my book. And uh, and yeah, I think I think I can proudly put him as the center of my all influence starting five. I think that works, Ooh. especially with your uh, your framing of the the center as like you know imp- important, pretty crucial. Mitchell Robinson just decided a playoff series, you know, but he's obviously not the most That's true. player on the next. <laughs> um, there's this, a, a story about Ginsburg. So I've read I've read of Howell and I I really dig Howell, but I, I can't say I know much more Ginsburg work, but I I do I've talked in the show before about the the reading series uh, I co-ran in college where it was just kind of like raucous and and uh, and anything goes kind of thing. There we were sitting around uh, my friend Charles and I who the other guy who ran it, we were talking about like um, the environment we want. He's like, I saw a video of like Ginsburg reading in front of a jazz band and he's like running up the walls, like a left fielder and like doing all this weird stuff while he's reading. And that's the energy I want for the reading. I was like, all right, yeah, that's cool. So like, so Ginsburg's always got a cool spot in my book too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I really love that too. I I feel like one, your list is so good. I, I, it's a great list. Yeah. Like I want to say multiple things Ginsburg is kind of funny on my mind today. Um, I mean, one, because I, I feel so similar to you where I, I agree, like, I would not be writing poetry today if sophomore year of high school, we didn't read, uh, I'm blanking on the name, the, the supermarket poem. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, what is that called? I know that one. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, right. It, it, it's. This is embarrassing for all of us. All of us, right? <laughs> a supermarket, a supermarket in California. There it is. That's there it, it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone else, all... every every listener out there, come on this podcast and sell your book too. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone that felt so important to me at a young age that yeah, I don't like reach back for very much, but by coincidence today, at school where where the common read thing between the English department is this, is banned book stuff, which I support. I'm, I'm just feeling a little fun, funky about it right now. Um, you know, it's a worthwhile thing to talk about, but I don't know. It's, it's felt clunky in my class, but uh, we were yeah. doing like a little, we're doing, we've been doing like these little case studies um, with my students. And today we were talking about the, the obscenity trial around Ginsburg. And so I, I had them listen to a recording of him reading like the first chunk of Howell. Um, and just yeah. like one of the, wow. the incredible things that came back was a student saying, it sounds like I forgot how to speak English and someone is, is speaking English to me. Oh, I love <laughs> just, that. That's amazing. <laughs> that's right? I was like, that's great. <laughs> it was such an incredible moment. I was like, I hate that we have to move on because all I want to do is keep yeah. listening to this with you all, with you all right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, students say the darndest things. It really truly. is. You know, I... <laughs> I get paid so little to adjunct. It is, it is, it is, it is rough, but I love teaching. And so I, am going to do it. I'm, you know, exploit me, daddy. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Um, I love teaching. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, I, um, as someone on the other side, I, I felt the exact same way as an adjunct. 
Um, the second we're off air, I'm ready to be like, can I can I talk to you about community colleges? Because um, I want to get you yeah. in the classroom. Um, but that's that's too much business for for the pod. <laughs> Chris, you know what time it is? Oh, uh, well, I was going to say 119, but I don't think that's the answer. Oh, the answer is it's time to read a poem. Hey, poetry time. Yeah, let's read some hey. poems. <laughs> um, Isaac, you, I mean, you had, you had a lot of poems you wanted to bring in, I think, um, is the real answer to this, but we did settle on one. Um, could you lead us off by reading it and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Sure. Yeah. It's by, uh, Basie Allen. It's called Nature Walk. Uh, it's from the book Palm Lined with Potions from 2022. For Camille T. Dungy and her Black Nature Anthology. Some people stay up at night wondering what stars are made of, while other people sleep great knowing that most stars we can see have already died. I've never slept as time is an alarm, waking us up to the realization that earth has already shattered and the shatter spins faster than light as we know it. But these days, while the light is good, I walk around New York and see other people as if they were trees in the woods, each one unique and perfectly beautiful. But if I stop and wonder about each one, I'll never get where I'm going or see the forest treat in front of my eyes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that's a poem. I this is gonna this is weird. This is this is purely like lizard brain and aesthetics. But I have I have a similar thing to say about your work. I just like the way the poem this poem looks on the page a lot. Yeah, yeah. So do I. Breathes really well, and it just kind of like it breathes the way you want to on a nature walk. Mm. But yeah, this is a great. It it is. Yeah, I've brought a visual poem to a to a audio format, but I think it stands up. I think it stands up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's 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 dive into it. Um, for our first question is always, um, why this poem? Why'd you bring this one? What's your relationship to it? So um, I I do my best writing immediately after reading, like immediately yeah. after reading. Oh yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, it's why this poem? I spent. I, I, I sent the guys back their, their prep document like late because I spent about 24 hours worrying over what poem to choose. Um, <laughs> uh, and then changed my mind at the last second like five different times. Um, but, but I chose this poem in the end because I think it is, A, it's humongous. It, yeah, it, yeah. Speaks, it speaks a big game and it's able to... Uh, kind of finish its thought in in such an efficient amount of time but but secondly because after i read this poem i wrote for like two straight hours yeah and and i i know that that there's something in it that is like worlds and universes and my relationship to it is like a poem that i will just keep reading um and keep thinking about how time is an alarm um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and I, I don't know. I, I think that's why I chose the poem. That's, that's great. Yeah. The time is an alarm. The, um, when, when, when you get to the, the part where it's the, that the waking up to the, waking us up to the realization that the earth is already shattered and the yeah. shattered faster than light as we know it. 
um, you know, we were, we were talking about the pandemic a lot uh, earlier. And one, one of the big realizations I had coming out of the pandemic was like, it, you know, like, like the, the years from like 2016 to like 2022 were like, that's about as, I know things can always get worse, but I was like, this is about as bad as I can imagine things. And I still have to like live my life. Yeah. Like I've been yeah. wallowing in like the badness of things for too long. And so, yeah, when you get to that stance of, like, the earth is already shattered, like, time, that's, I'm not going to say time is a flat circle, time, um, <laughs> uh, well, let's, you know, let's, 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 let's reference a religious text, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and you have to, you have to kind of, like, navigate and you live your life, and, like, uh, uh, you'll never get where you're going, or see the forest tree yeah. in front of your eyes, you know, like, I, I don't mm. know, it's great, it's great, good poem. Yeah, yeah, no, this was, I, I Immediately a poem that I read and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to reread this and reread this and reread. There's, it, you know, so funny, like you said, of there's a lot of space on the page, um, but I feel like needed to like hold all of what's here. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Um, let's, let's move, let's move to the move. Because um, I feel like we're probably going to yeah. have a lot to say when we get to the third question. Excuse me. Um, what is the specific moment uh, in the poem that excites you where you see the poet working and does something that, that you want to do maybe as a poet? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially besides the visual elements, which is, is maybe what, what, what grabbed me in this poem, I, I want to describe it. Can I bring that into the room, yeah. so to speak? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have those first three lines are written as basically prose going all the way across the page. Right. Um, below that is maybe a quadruple break and then a centered line saying, I've never slept. Yeah. Then we move to the right margin for as time is an alarm through then light as we know it. And then all the way down into the left corner um, for what look like traditional stanzas for uh, the actual nature walk that ends the poem. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this almost breeze that flows through yeah. the middle of the page um, in a way that I think is, is again, perfect for a nature walk, um, but also perfect for sort of the outlying themes of the poem. Because I love literal poems that are nature walks, and they're just, it's a nature walk. Like, this yeah. is yeah. legit what this is. But um, at night. Um, but... I, I, the move, I guess, within that is, is going from this sort of almost, almost cliche philosophical thought about what stars are made of and, and how we are all part of this like endless, fatally doomed system right? Like the universe is collapsing and on itself already. Right. Right. Um, and you move from there to this moment of time as an alarm, which mm. speaks to you that like, if we have this limited amount of time, if the universe is collapsing in on itself, then like we like have to do something mm -hmm. like it's an alarm waking us up. Um, and the, that move of, of, of like going from, I really like going from like close to cliche to like making my point because mm -hmm. it, it sort of lulls the reader in until you, until you really hit it out of the park. Um, that's the wrong sports metaphor. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. We can do baseball metaphor. <laughs> we can do baseball. Okay. Yeah, we can, we can do baseball. Um, <laughs> no, so I maybe like that's, that that's the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah, it, this poem does like lull you. Uh, for me, it was when the um, the those last five lines, the everyone unique and perfectly beautiful, like that's that's full of like you know some what what, what some professors would say are the forbidden words of poetry, um, <laughs> and, and it, it kind of keeps going, and then it hits you with that little uh, or see the forest hyphen treat in yeah. front line break of my eyes. It's like this this like little yeah. like when you're when you're trying to yeah like you said like really make the point. You you've, you've you've kind of rocked the the reader to sleep, and then you like you hit him with a little a little forest treat. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> uh, I, to to bring us back a little bit, I that phrase I keep looking at as time is an alarm. Uh, I had such a like visceral like first time reading it. Uh, you know, just thought of like you know looking at a physical alarm clock. That's like not yeah. going off and like the, the, the digits on it being the alarm, like so hit. And it seems like such a simple phrase, but like it rules. And I, I really love poetry that uses simple language. Mm. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate a poem that, that has every, you know, $5 word you can imagine. And the vocabulary of some poets is truly like astounding. Yeah. But but this is not that kind of collection. Basie Allen's collection is really, you know, it's it's the language of the everyday wrought incredibly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. And and I, I I really like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I found that as especially like reading for a lit mag now, just being like, oh yeah, I don't. All, all of you know all the same words. So just just hit me with like, <laughs> just hit me with the right ones in the right order, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great move, Bob. Did you have anything else on the move? I'm I'm just I'm bewildered right now, baby. This All is right. <laughs> bewildered, Bobby. Let's, uh, let's 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 go to the third question. Um, what does this poem do for you beyond the page? What does it remind you of? What does it make you think about? make you excited about we've been talking about writing that makes us excited um yeah mm-hmm. yeah i feel like i definitely jumped ahead and started answering this question already uh, which happens. is fine we we paint outside the box but but to to add to what i've said so far you know i uh we kind of started off this episode by talking about this being a uniquely distressing time in the world Um, and, uh, I, it's, I think it's pretty easy to look at a distressing time and sure do whatever you can, but, but ultimately think like, well, this is, this is probably not going to get any better. Um, and, you know, I think part of what this poem does or makes me think about, it really makes me believe is that that kind of thinking, um, you know, prevents you from seeing something mm-hmm. and prevents you from, from working towards a big picture. And I think prevents you from doing the most that you can in the moment because that underlying pessimism um, seeps in even when you can't tell it's happening. Um, and so I really love what this poem does where it, again, as we said, lulls you into this, sense of, of the, the sort of haplessness of the universe, the shattering earth, but, but ultimately delivers you uh, to individual people um, yeah. who, who ultimately, you know, I think 
part of what he's saying is that it's people that make up nature. Um, we are sort of what is natural. And, um, you know, for that, we are the forest and we are precious. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's where, I think that's where this poem takes me. I love it. God, I love, I that. love it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. That, 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 that takes me to, um, reminds me of something the, the great Noah Eli Gordon said one time, uh, some, uh, he, he'd come to talk to a class I was in and one of the, uh, one of the students asked him like, why, why write in this like, you know, quote unquote, inaccessible way? Why, why write poetry the way you do? Um, why do poetry? And Noah said, because without things like poetry, we get failures of the imagination. We get the Iraq war, you know, this is 2009 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about that a lot. Like with, with, if you're, if you're, I think art inherently has to be hopeful just because you're like, you are creating something and you have to have high. Cause you're making it. Cause exactly. You're making yeah. So it's an inherently hopeful yeah. act to, to, to be making art. And so, yeah, art is a guard against the, a guard against pessimism. Um, time is an alarm. You know, you, you get phrases that, 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 that ring in your mind that try to wake you up, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I really like that a lot, man. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm like, Going through it, <laughs> making all the connections in my head in the moment, I'm like, I am going to absolutely butcher whatever I say. Uh, <laughs> do what I do, Bob, and just start talking without, yeah, know, uh, without a real, talking. like, just don't. <laughs> um, That's what I do, too. It's great. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, this is really resonating with me. Um, I'm thinking, Isaac, what you said, you know, yeah, about, or maybe this isn't exactly what you said, but, you know, how... A, a time like this where there's a, a very clear um, distress is not even at all the word that I want, but, you know, there's there's something urgent reminds you of. Or, or just, so you know, it awakens you to that kind of urgency. Um, yes. Which, you know, as we discussed, like something with <laughs> Iraq war, but our whole lives have been times of urgency. You know, there's been. Yeah, so much, and there always is, and you know, we could you, know, you talk about the 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 universe collapsing, but I would I could you know go right back to the climate change kind of stuff of like there's so much yeah. urgency, and it is so easy to, as the poem does, be lulled away from worrying about any of that. But I love how the poem is bringing us to, or at least the way you framed it, um, to like to noticing, yeah, the people as part of nature noticing what people really are, there's something I can't quite scratch that I'm just like so, so thrilled with um, the way that that is this turn to optimism. Um, even if it is like awakening us to like the urgency of the things that we should be paying attention to. Yeah. I don't know if should's the word I want to use, but. No. Yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think. I think it is optimistic to turn your attention to disaster because yeah. to be pessimistic is to let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> well, that this rules. Is... Bob, you said you were doing transitions today. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here with the poem, Chris. <laughs> uh, 
I think that means we sh- we should we should Isaac we should read one of your poems. Okay. Okay. Great. We should we should, we should spur ourselves to action to uh, celebrating Isaac's work, celebrating what <laughs> is here. There we go. <laughs> uh, so this one this one I haven't read out loud in a while, so we're going to do our best not to butcher it. Hell yeah. Um, but uh, it's again it's a visual poem that we're bringing to an audio medium. Um, that's okay. I think it. I, love <laughs> I it. think so too. I think um, it's called Uncommissioned Elegy for Joseph Paul Jernigan and the Body of Michael Brown. The first digital corpse traded pain for posterity, taking poison, rejecting its rightful chair, but the audience applause, audience forever inside your drive, he is saved. He dies for endless dissection, consonant with the expectation We are allowed to linger on the skin of a criminal, repeating hierarchies of the global organ. The first visible man relives his American dream on knees bending every way, plastic collapse, all ribs and earlobes, every piece of your body that keeps growing even after you fall into bare bones, horizon, receding into digital morgues, renaming the mortuary a science, a clinical gaze, determining who is human by coordinates for who was, plotted with rulers, clamps, and forceps, splayed onto touch screens. The body is now swiped through. Now you can refresh us, refresh, refresh, update until we are cross-sections, millimeter by millimeter, softened enough as slivers of data until we are made to matter, reassorted into the new archive. Those photographs were never really surgeons, once freeze-framed and still life, close up invisibly projecting us as larvae, fat and full on promised knowledge, category our new chrysalis. Like the butterfly's bloom, not knowing they used to be goo that can hold on to memory, wormy smells of fear and hope and safety, now we are free, Unpeeling crispy layers off binary wings, promises to disseminate as truth over myth, even in death. And so what if we lose our fleshy interior, separate from muscle, untether from every embedded response, metamorphing all our skin cells in a flash, excluded life exposed as a toolbox? The corpse of the future sees everything, everyone resting in digital desk drawers, writing free obituaries each day as another cover for autopsy in the background, awaiting the prize of our so-called moment of death. How quickly do you erase the body under the sheets where it finally rested? Remember, yours is not the first corpse to be come glamour, dazzle with that soft pink matter. Look, no one said butterflies could No butterfly ever asked to be a metaphor for flowering thought. Look here. No one really tells the butterflies shit. Yeah, that riffs. What a poem, man. That's a poem. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. God damn. There's so much to love here, but I really love the... Man, I, 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 I... There's... I, I, I don't want to start at the end. We always start at the end. I, I really love the, um, um, I love, I love just these, these words here. The, 
Our new chrysalis, like the butterflies bloom, not knowing they used to be goo that can hold on to memory, yeah. wormy smells of fear and hope and safety. Now we are freed, unpeeling, crispy. And it keeps going. But, you know, like, I just love that the internal rhyme of bloom and goo and then the wormy smells <laughs> of fear and hope. Like, there's just <laughs> yes. so much there. Like, <laughs> butterflies are beautiful. We, I have a five-year-old, so we talk often about caterpillars turning into butterflies. And, yes. what a, you know, what a beautiful process that is. But it's also so gross. <laughs> and, like, and you have, like, yeah. you just, you picked the, like, you picked the right gross words to, like, really be, like, <laughs> to be under. It kind of, like, it, it kind of, like, cushions or not undercuts, but, like, like, um, prevents from being too saccharine all this like talk of like fear and hope and safety and like and the rebirth mm. of a butterfly it like kind of kind of roll, ro- rolling around in the viscera of it like is a really effective um thing but then like i do like this whole huge like break and then the look no one said the stut the stuttering the look no one said the butterflies could m dash mm-hmm. no butterfly ever asked to be line break a metaphor for flowering thought M dash stands a break. Look here. No one really tells the butterfly shit. It's just great. It's just <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot here, but those are those uh, are the two that stuck out to me. Bob, yeah, where, where were you going? So much here. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I was like, I feel bad to like not be giving the first page the attention I think it deserves. Um, because I was with, right with you on that that part of the butterfly, the goo. Um, but I, I'm hearing you read it this time. I I was. Well, also the the first couple times I read it, I, I missed the second page, so I have this weird view of the poem. Um, but towards the end there, and this is probably also why I love I love the last poem so much, as I, as I think I am constantly obsessed with time. But the corpse of the future sees everyone resting in digital desk drawers, writing free obituaries each day as another cover for autopsy in the background, awaiting the prize of our so-called moment of death. Oh. So good, unbelievable! So good. Digital. Um, I told digital you the autopsies. work was heady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that section um, that Bob just described that just read describes my Substack. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta ask. Um, I had two uh, things that are again like audio format. I'm talking about visual stuff. So on the, I guess it's the third page of the poem. Uh, we've got this little note in the corner in parentheses of uh, this poem is a stereoscope. Can I tell me about this? Yeah. So, so I had to make a split decision here. This poem can be read two ways. Right. Um, so you can read it. Those. Yeah. You can read it down the columns or you can read it across the columns. Right. Ooh, um, okay. And, and I, you know, when I've performed this, I've sometimes read down the columns on the first page and across the columns on the Ooh, second page. Yeah. Um, just to sort of mess with the way it reads. And I think it, 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 it stands up both ways. Um, but yeah, this is definitely, it's meant to be read as many times as you can in as many ways as you can read it. Right. I'm glad to hear that. Cause I, with the first, the first page, I definitely, you know, it, 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 I think the, the title being across both pages really helps with that. But I immediately was was tempted to do that, and I do think it totally works both ways. It's it's so impressive. Um, and as, as I said, I, I missed the second page on my, my first few readings, and I was like, oh, gosh. So I, I was a little too frantic to uh, recognize it there. 
I lost my thought. Hang on, it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can I can I say yeah. something about the poem? Yeah, Please, yeah. So this, yeah, this is a poem that you know. I there are a few poems in the book like this where I am desperately hoping that someone will Google something they don't understand mm, yeah. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. or some, or something they don't know. And, you know, I, I throw, everyone knows who Michael Brown is. Right. Maybe some people know the poem, the body of Michael Brown by mm-hmm. Kenneth Goldsmith, which is uh, just a rereading of, of uh, an autopsy. And is, is truly something horrific yeah. to behold. Um, and so this is an, but very few people know who Joseph Paul Jernigan is. Right. So if you if you go ahead and Google him, he is um, he was a man on Texas's death row, and he signed away his life to science, so that after he was executed, his body would become a digital archive of uh, these tiny cross sections cut each a millimeter wide of his entire body, so we could study the bones and the ligaments and everything. They studied as closely as possible. So his death does this, this great service for science. Right. And, you know, I feel like I wanted that in conversation with the, with both Michael Brown and the, the terrible Kenneth Goldsmith poem, because I want to put these things to sleep. Mm. Um, I want, I want them to, 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 I don't want people to die for science, right? right? I don't want people to die for a good cause. I don't want more martyrs. I want less martyrs yeah. and more justice. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So Google stuff. Right. And when you're reading poetry, <laughs> Google stuff. Yeah. I have to remind the myself best. of that too. It's just like, like set the collection down for a second and like type in stuff. Cause it all, it never doesn't deepen your understanding. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. I will pat myself on the back. I did Google. I did not get that far. So I appreciate that context. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it makes me think of, um, because I think that's becoming truer and truer of poets doing that kind of thing where they want you to know, some, you know, like that awkwardness of like, you're at a reading and someone could talk about the subject, the poem, um, but you also want the poem to speak for itself. And I, I'm yeah. curious about possibilities um, for that in in physical books, so, you know, I don't know if it's a you know a, a QR code that takes you somewhere or <laughs> some other way to imagine that, but it it does feel like there's opportunities there, right? Of both yeah. the desire for people to search for more, but also how much do I want to give them and how I do want to give them. Poetry I don't have collections an answer. need uh, we need DVD extras for poetry collections. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is. Maybe maybe VHS. I don't know. We we like we like analog things. Someone someone not us start a podcast where it's it's DVD commentation commentary for uh for like it's it's the it's the director's cut it's the writer's cut of their their. Own. <laughs> well, I, was, I, was, oh. <laughs> I was gonna say this about VHS, but honestly, I was thinking in my household, it's it's true of DVDs too. Where it's you know if there was a little DVD in the back of the book, I'd be like, I don't have anything where I could play this. You know. <laughs> like, <I can't> even... <laughs> So you have to buy the book, then buy a DVD player, then you can get the extras. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I thank you for bringing this. Uh, everything today has made me more and more excited to dive deeper into your work. Um, thank you. Yeah. That's great. And and 
as much as uh, it's totally bogus that you have to teach five classes and not get paid nearly enough for it, um, I am I'm envious of your students because I I would love to hear you talk. I uh, like part of part of my reason talking is like Isaac, just keep going, bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know what we haven't heard you talk about yet, though. Okay. Is basketball not nearly enough? Okay, all right. Not <laughs> I guess you've done a little bit, but but you you yeah you've showed off your chops. You can you can talk some hoops with us, um, and uh, you're you're the kind of person who is listening to those podcasts in the off season, and and uh, you keep going even you you have those moments where it's you know uh, it's like August, and you're like man, the last three podcasts I've listened to have also the exact same thing. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> That's Bob. We were talking about how I have trouble following the NBA in the offseason now that I have a kid. Yeah. That's what 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 got me was when I when I like switched from like a no dunks to a Zach Lowe to a um uh to to like a what's what's Jason Conception Chase Serrano's new one. But they're all talking about like oh yeah potential hardened destinations or, or why the trade hasn't happened yet. And I was like, I don't need everyone's opinion on why this trade hasn't happened yet. <laughs> And then, of course, it happens just like everyone said it would. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's 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 move into the basketball question. And um, you uh, uh, continue a string of a string of guests that come from cool places. Uh, you know, we we had a guest recently from Philadelphia. We had a guest recently from uh, from Chicago, and and now we have a guest. From Detroit, which is an awesome city, if listeners, you don't know how rad Detroit is, or like for some bogus like suburban reason, you're scared to go to Detroit, go to Detroit. Detroit is awesome. Our very good friend, uh, area man Pat Nolan, lives in Detroit. It's a uh, it's a wonderful place. Um, so the Pistons are almost exciting for the first time in who knows how long. You've indicated <laughs> that you're a Pistons fan. Um but a, uh, a a shout out Rashid Wallace and uh, and Joe Dumars Pistons fan, but things are starting to yes. look up over there. So I don't know. Maybe we'll just clear out. Isaac, do you want to? Uh, the floor is yours. Like anything cool you want to say about Detroit or Detroit basketball? Uh, Detroit basketball <laughs> there it is. is how you have to say there it. it is. <laughs> never never let that go away. Um, so I mean, I I grew up. On the Pistons, right? I I remember the Bad Boy Pistons uh, as being a very small child, and then I am those formative years of of adolescence when the Pistons are probably the best team in the NBA over the course of six straight um, conference finals. Uh, wasn't it? Six straight conference yeah, finals, yeah. yeah. Um, an incredible run um, led by some incredible players. Shout out Chauncey Billups, who's still in the NBA uh, coaching now. Um, but then came some real lean years. Um, we haven't won a playoff game since 2008. Um, we have gone through a series of coaches and GMs. Um, we built a new arena that people don't go to because they're afraid to go to the city, um, which is terrible. Uh, do say nice things about Detroit. It is a great place. Um, and uh, it's not – Detroit isn't coming back. Detroit is a city. It never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the Heidelberg um, Project. my favorite attraction. Yeah, very cool thing. Very cool thing. Uh, next time you're at the Heidelberg Project, talk to the guy who made it. He'll just converse you for as long as you want. Um, anyways, so right now I think that uh, the Pistons are sort of on the edge of something. Uh, we've got this, this up-and-coming superstar in Cade Cunningham 
who like I'm choosing to just believe in. He's had some injury issues, but like I think he's a real winner. He really um, he is a team first player. He passes the ball more than he shoots it, uh, even though he's a he's an effective scorer. So I'm really excited about Cade. Uh, I'm really excited about Jalen Duran, who's the youngest player in the NBA and already putting up double doubles. Uh, I think he has nowhere to go but grow. Um, and then our draft pick this year, Asar Thompson, yeah. who is yeah. this like six six dynamo, the most athletic person in the history of the world, um, <laughs> except for maybe his with twin the brother. Five by five game? Didn't he have like five blocks? For yeah, game? yeah, Ooh. yeah, for sure. And he's had a game with like eighteen rebounds, I think. Too. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's yeah. everywhere on the court. Really exciting to watch. Um, but you know, I'm. I, I think. My big take on the Pistons is that it's still time to take it slow. We're not going to be a good team this year. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that we need a trade to sort of um, uh, clarify the roster. We've got mm. too many pieces. We've got too many players, too many, too many B-minus players and not enough A-minus players. There you go. Um, well, it feels like you need so to I grow some we... of those players into A-minus players and then make a, make a clarifying trade. Definitely. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think Jalen Duren will get there. Yeah. You're like, um, I think you're like last might year's Thunder right now. Um, yes. Maybe without a oh, shake, just oh, Alexander. I hope. But like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe Kate can a, be A little uh, optimistic there, Chris. Not too optimistic. A little bit. Um, I'm trying to I, say I will take that Pistons. optimism. <laughs> I, believe you've got a, I believe you've got a Bogdanovich to trade still. He's still on the roster? Yes, we've, we've got a Bogdanovich to trade. Who's just always a Bogdanovich to trade. A playoff <laughs> contender. Yeah, yes. There are a couple of them in the NBA. Um <laughs> And then uh, I think that we can trade young players and picks maybe next year for a good right. player. Yeah. Right. I know that's like the opposite of how rebuilding teams usually do it, but I don't necessarily trust our front office to, to nail every draft pick. Yeah. And I, I, I think the city of Detroit is, is really wants a winner. And I'm one of those fans who – I don't need the championship or bust model. No. Um, I'm real happy with a second round playoff exit. I want to. I want to care about my team for seven, eight straight months. You yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. And and if that means like being pretty good for a lot of years, that that's that's great for me. You know, the heartbreak is part of what loving sports is all about. Mm. So um, so yeah, I I want us to I want us to get a little bit better. Uh, I want us to contend for the playoffs and um, decide to see where we can go from there. I think that's, that's a very healthy way to look at your, uh, <laughs> especially us being a Midwest sports fans. Like free agents aren't coming here. I don't think the Bulls know it yet, but free agents yeah. are coming to the Midwest. <laughs> they just are not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a really and yeah. Just just I want to I want that's what I want out of fan. I, I obviously who wouldn't want their team to win the championship, but like right. you just want to be relevant in the playoffs and also feel like the people in charge know what they're doing. And I haven't felt that way about the Bulls yes. since I was in college. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm very, very happy yeah. for you. This is, this is an exciting time to be a Pistons fan for sure. <laughs> um, yes. Can we get um, just, you know, just a few, any, any deep cut favorite players uh, from years of Piston fandom? Yeah, any end of the bench guys? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, Unfortunately, my favorite is now like a household name. So I actually made Duncan Darvin Ham t-shirts with my buddy Kevin Incredible. back in college. Um, because that was his nickname that George Blaha, 
maybe the the worst announcer in sports, um, <laughs> but a real nice guy. George Blaha gave him the name Duncan Darvin Ham, even though he was on the bench, scored about two points a game. And also, I, um, I'm a little unfamiliar with Darvin Ham's player profile. Um, isn't he like six two or something? Like, does he dunk? Uh, I think he's like he. Oh, oh, he dunked. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. okay. I thought oh, he was small yeah, for I think some he's, reason. Uh, Maybe six six, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but he was a, he was a leaper and real built, um, and would occasionally catch a body. And I always loved rooting for Darvin Ham, uh, yeah. uh, mostly because it was silly, but also because the Pistons were sort of a working class team. There weren't a lot of highlight makers on the team. Yeah. And Darvin Ham offered us a highlight machine, even right. if it was every couple of weeks. Um, I think maybe another one that also had a terrible nickname was Scoreless Williamson. Yes. We got the Corliss. <laughs> I yeah. 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 Yep. We got the Corliss Williamson experience for a few him. years. Um, and that was, that was pretty tough. That was pretty tough for a while. Um, How do you feel about Bison was Daylight? Great... One of my favorites. Oh gosh. Bison Daylight, not, not, not representing the Pistons. Well, not warm feelings. Um, not warm feelings we'll about Bison Daylight. We'll talk more about Corliss. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bison Daylight, uh, fun story, dies mysteriously at sea. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, I wrote yeah, about this for Cracked so, a few years ago. Um, yeah, it's a wild story. And then his brother, who also had a weird name change, like died mysteriously later um, after being oh, wow. present for him dying mysteriously at sea. It's it's a wild thing. Okay, that's that's <laughs> yeah. a lot. There's a lot there. That's, it's, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. Everyone should write a poem about bison daylight. There you go. That's <laughs> your what we're saying. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I, I remember last one uh, for the 2004 Pistons. I remember believing that Mehmet Okur was yeah. going to become Mehmet. a superstar. Oh. Everyone forgets yeah. about Mehmet on the uh, on the Pistons. He was good for that team. Oh yeah, he was he was something. He was great. Like maybe seventh man. Yeah, um, could score with anybody. Yeah, um, early you know, early and, stretch uh, center. Shoot. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and by at that point, it seemed like a miracle that a seven-footer could hit three. <laughs> um, so, so I, those are some of my those are some of my favorites uh, from the bench. All excellent. That <laughs> uh, right, Corliss Williamson is a particular name that just like boom takes me back. I think I, I have like, yeah. seven Corliss Williamson basketball cards. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, that rules. I'm going to try to play Corliss and Grits today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that does mean that's where we have to wrap it up, doesn't it, Chris? I think think that's it. The, um, I, I tried to click out of one poem and my whole thing disappeared. The book is called It's Not Over Once You Figure It Out. It's on Black Ocean. Um, Isaac, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, awesome. What a delight. Awesome. Well, our music is done by Brennan Johnson. Our art is done by Ann Strickland. And we will talk to you all next month. Mm-hmm.